Good morning. It's good to see all of you at Cornerstone. Thanks for being here today. Go ahead and warn the person next to you. He's going to talk about money. Go, go ahead and let him know. That makes some people kind of, you know, feel heart palpitations. It's, it's going to be okay. It won't, it won't be too painful. Uh, just before I get going, I just want to take just a moment and tell you how very proud I am, not only of the congregation, but of the staff here at Cornerstone. Pastor Andy has such a wonderful team that works around him. I just couldn't be happier. Everything I see here at Cornerstone just makes me feel confident that God has brought our church exactly down the path that he intends for us. And so would you do me a favor and give the staff and the music department, everybody a big hand. Let them know you love them. All right, let's go ahead and talk about this idea of financial adulting. Because in 1 Corinthians, it, it kind of helps us get this picture in our mind that we should be different as adults than we were as kids. In other words, behaviors should change, shouldn't they? When you see an adult acting like a kid, you kind of wonder, you know, what is, what's wrong with that person? Because you, you, you recognize that there's something not quite right. And the Scripture recognizes it too. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it, verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. In other words, I grew up. We're supposed to grow up in how we handle relationships. We're supposed to grow up in how we handle our money. We're supposed to grow up in every area of our life. And finances are just one of those areas. Because the way a kid will handle money is much different than what an adult should do with it. I told you last week, if you give a child a $20 bill and send them into the candy store or send them into the toy store, they're going to go in there wondering, how much can I get for this? Friends, that's not, supposed to, that's not supposed to be the way we handle our paycheck. We get our paycheck. How much stuff can I get for this? That's not really how, what God teaches us in His Scripture. Teaches that there is a way that Christ followers, as we grow into adulthood, there are principles, there are ways that will be a blessing to us, and there are paths that will cause struggles for us. So take a look. We're going to go through a few principles. Here's adulting principle number one. I must win the battle in my mind before my finances. Now, the book of Philippians, really interesting book in the New Testament. It's primarily about the way I think. Friends, you don't realize how much your thinking impacts the, the life that you live. And the book of Philippians tells us specifically that we have control over where we allow our minds to focus. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you are married? Raise your hand. How, those of you that are married, how many of you have ever Let's just be honest. How many of you have ever gone through a time when your marriage was just kind of, you know, you were just kind of bickering at each other all the time? Raise your hand. Most all of us that have been married have had some point like that. You know, during that difficult time, you looked at your spouse, your husband, or your wife, and you looked at them and kind of thought, what did I do? Those you're kind of wondering, what was I thinking when I got married? And you, you kind of look, but then on the day that you married him or her, you thought he was the handsomest guy in the world. You thought she was the most beautiful woman you'd ever met. Well, you know, I, I realize that we change over time, but truthfully what changes more is our perspective, what we choose to focus on. In a marital relationship, as soon as you find yourself dwelling on the negative, the negative, the negative, the negative, the negative, you'll find that that relationship is beginning to deteriorate. You can bring every thought captive. That's what the Bible teaches us. 
The book of Philippians tells us where we are to focus our attention. It says if there's anything that's good or pure or holy or of a good report, think on these things. Focus on those things. As you focus on the positive attributes of your spouse, you begin to feel better about them. Friends, when, in our, when it comes to our finances, we have to bring every thought captive. We have to hold tight to certain attitudes. Let me give you one. Number one, cultivate the I can attitude. The Bible teaches me that I can learn contentment with God's help. I won't be controlled by fear, by greed, by boredom, or by shame. Here's what it says specifically. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Friends, the Bible teaches me that through God's help, I can develop an attitude of, I can do this. I can be successful as I apply God's principles. I don't have to be controlled by boredom, fear, or shame. Those are spending triggers for most people. Now, if you're wondering whether or not you have a, a spending problem that's attached to any of those uh, of boredom, of shame, of fear, let, let me just tell you, most people have at least some attachment or some struggle with boredom spending. Now, if you're wondering how to recognize this, let me give you a, a shortcut. Have you ever been sitting there watching television, looking at your iPad, and simultaneously shopping? If so, you have a boredom spending issue developing in your life. Even if you're just watching TV and you are shopping while you're wa watching TV, you are using shopping as a form of entertainment. Last night, I was watching a movie. I like old movies. And how many of you ever heard of a guy named Basil Rathbone? Raise your hand if you ever heard. Basil Rathbone, he played Sherlock Holmes in 14 movies during the 40s. And I, I'm collecting those movies, and I've got, I found five or six of them. But I, I remember all 14 of them, and I really enjoy them. And I'm sitting there watching one of them, and Debbie's watching one. She's sitting on the floor. My dog, for some reason, can always talk her into getting on, uh, laying down on the floor with her. And so she'll lay down, and she's got a pillow. So she's laying there watching it. And I see that she's got her phone. All of a sudden, she pops up. She comes over, and she says, how do you like these? And she starts scrolling through women's shoes. Friends, there is not a good day to start asking me about women's shoes. There is not a good time of the day to ask me about women's shoes. There is not a good time during my lifetime to ask me whether I think, ooh, are those cute or not. Friends, the, there's just not a good time to be asking. But she said, and, and so what she was doing is she's watching the TV with me, but she was entertaining herself with those shoes. And I said, honey, I, I, I don't think any of those will look good on me. And so leave me alone while I watch the movie. And so boredom ha can be a spending trigger for you. Fear can be. Shame is a powerful one. If you grow up in difficult financial circumstances, you got to be careful. Sometimes fear of how you appear or shame at, uh, of past struggles that you've had. You know, the neighbor's always having more. The, I remember moving into a neighborhood one time and started convincing myself I needed a nicer car because the neighbors had nicer cars. Friends, that, you know, those worrying about other people's perceptions of us, all of those are triggers that will mess up our finances. God teaches me I can bring every thought captive. I can learn contentment. The next one, I can be trusted with more. Commit to practicing God's biblical principles. Here's what it says in the scripture. It says, will a mere mortal or will a man rob God? Yet you rob me and you ask, well, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offering. 
The Bible teaches that we're to set aside our tithe, that it's something that we're not supposed to touch. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Instead, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there'll not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent the pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. In other words, he said, try me out in this. See if I won't bless you if you take this step. Friends, I've been tithing from the time I was a small child. When I was a kid, you know, if I got money in uh, Christmas or birthday cards, first thing I I did, I was taught, no, you, you tithe on that, and now we take the rest of it and put it in savings. Dad wasn't big on spending, but he was really big on tithing faithfully and saving faithfully. And so I would go down to Orange Savings and Loan, and I would, they had a special set of steps right there near the Orange Circle, and you'd walk in, there were those steps, and I'd walk up those steps like a man going to the guillotine, because I knew there was a cat lady at the top. Now, she didn't own cats. She had these big cat glasses. How many of you remember those cat glasses? And so she's sitting up there, and she's smiling real big, and I'm thinking to myself, if I was bigger, I'd slap that look off your face, because she was going to take the money that I had. And Dad wouldn't, you know, he said, no, 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 you, you pay your tithe, and then you practice it. So I was taught it from the time that I was a young child. But friends, God has blessed me because of those things. God has blessed my faithfulness. God has blessed my obedience there. God can trust me with what he gives me. God can trust you with more as you practice more and more of his biblical principles faithfully. The third one there, I can be good at this. I am not controlled by my past, what's ha- what I did before. I'm not controlled by, by about how my parents handled money, and I'm not controlled by my passions. In other words, I'm not going to do things in my finances because I'm just all excited. No, I can be good at this. Tell the person next to you something you're good at, just something you have a talent for. Tell the person next to you something you're good at. How many of you people are, are good at baking? Raise your hand if you're, you're a good baker. My nieces are tremendous bakers. So several of you are really good at baking. How come you don't bring anything on Sunday morning? You know, you could just start, you know, be out front. I, I'm just suggesting. But, you know, tell the person next to you, turn to them and say, I could be good at finances. Go ahead and tell them, I could be good at that. There are people that before they make a financial decision, they pick up the phone and they call me. Do you want to know why they call me? Because I'm good at it. So, Pastor Ron, let's not brag, let's not be arrogant. Friends, not bragging, it's not arrogance. But to try and pretend to, that I'm not, it would be false humility. No, I, I'm good at it because I've worked hard at learning God's principles. Friends, you could be good at it too. In every family, there's someone that you pick up the phone and call or someone's Gmail and you could, and what I'm saying is you should be that person. You should be the person that your relatives pick up the phone and they call you and say, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think about it? Because they see over time that you practice good financial management. They, don't, they may not know that it's scripture-based, but they see you handling your money well. They see God opening the floodgates of heaven and blessing you. They see that the pests are being kept at bay. They see what's happening in your life. They think, you know, I, I, should, I should call you and ask you about it. Friends, there are people who call me from across the country. There are people that should be calling and asking you because you can be good at this. The Bible tells us that if we will be faithful, if we'll study to show ourselves approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, talks about how if we'll take those principles of what God is teaching us in our finances, in our relationship with him, in every area of our life, God blesses us as we apply those principles. And number two, it's amazing what happens 
when we jump over the question of if and we get to the question of how. Friends, as long as you're asking, well, I don't know if I can be good in my finances, you're never gonna get there. The Bible says bring every thought captive. Here's the first thought to bring captive. It's not if, it's how. How will I do it? How will I set aside my tithe? How will I set aside savings? How will I start aggressively getting debt out of my life? How will I do that? So, Pastor Ron, I don't know if I can. Wait a second. I didn't ask you if. The question is how. Well, you know, Pastor Ron, there are some things that just, wait a second. You want to know a lie that our entire nation has bought? Our entire nation has bought the lie that to go to college, you have to go in debt. Oh, there's just, there's just really not any way around it. You need to know that is a lie. See, but, well, you know, I don't know if. Wait a second. Don't ask if. Ask yourself the question. How could I go to college and come out of it with zero debt? How could I do that? You know, if you get to the question of how, you'll find that there are answers to that. Well, Pastor Ron, that's not really possible. I got to tell you, I disagree. You see, from the time I was a child, I was taught that, you know, we need to, to be extremely cautious about debt. And during my early years of career, I didn't pay enough attention to that principle from God's, from God's word. But when I was a kid, I was taught that. And when it came time to go to college, the idea of going into debt never really occurred to me. Well, Pastor Ron, there's no way that you could go to college now. Friends, I have a bachelor's degree. I have a master's degree, I have a Juris Doctor degree, I'm a licensed attorney, the, and I have a doctor of education. And I've never had any college debt. The, it's not that I paid it off, I never had any to begin with, and my family never paid a dime of my college tuition. Now, don't misunderstand, my dad would have paid for it all, but I was working and applying God's principles, and I didn't need my dad to. Every one of those, I paid as I went. When you get to the question of how, instead of being trapped by the question of if, quit asking if you can save your marriage. Start asking how you save your marriage. Quit asking if you can do better in your finances and start asking, how can I do better? Lord, how do I do these things? Because the book of Philippians is full of counsel of how we bring our thinking. And this isn't the power of positive thinking. It's the ability to open our minds to the principles God's word has taught us. It teaches us about tithe. It teaches us about saving. It teaches us that we are servants when we become debts. That, that, that we, the Bible says that we are servants servants to the lender. Well, I don't want to be a servant. No, I, I want to be the person, you know, who makes my own decisions. Look at adulting principle number two. I automate what helps me and I inconvenience what hurts me. Now, there was a day when you couldn't do everything online. I know many of you don't remember that. How many of you can remember it, the funny sound the telephone line used to make when you went online? If you remember that, that squeaky, high-pitched sound, that was so much fun. You'd unplug your phone, you'd plug in your computer, you'd plug in your phone, you'd go on back and forth because nobody had more than one phone line in their house. And so, you know, we, we would do that. But even prior to that, I automated my tithe and savings because Debbie and I had a spending plan. And she wrote actual checks. Some of you don't know what a check is. Don't worry, I'll explain it some other time. She wrote actual checks. But on our spending plan, on our monthly budget, tithe was first, savings was next. Friends, every month, those got paid first because we were prioritizing things that God will bless. Well, years ago, when we all went online, I automated those things. 
I would set my tithe aside, I would set savings aside, and I would pay extra on any debt that I had. I automated that. The, for those of you who are, are using credit cards, I, I don't teach against credit cards, I use credit cards, but I've never been late on one because I automated it. It pays itself off in full every month on the same day. So, Pastor Ron, what if the money wasn't in the account? Friends, I'm an adult, I have a spending plan. There wouldn't be something on the charge card that I hadn't set money aside for already. I don't go on vacation unless I've set the money aside. I don't spend unless I've set the money aside. In other words, I, I do that first so that I can do the other without worrying. These are all things that you can do by automating things that will help you and inconveniencing things that hurt you. God blesses my tithe, my savings, my getting rid of debt, so I enhance my faithfulness by automating it. Next, the Bible warns me that I need God's protection against the little pests. The scripture says, I'll verse 11 of Malachi chapter 3, I'll prevent the little pests from devouring your crops. The Bible teaches I need his protection. Most people who get into financial trouble, will, when they're trying to explain how it happened, they'll say this, and I don't even know where it went. I don't have a thing to show for it. Why? It's because little pests don't come in and leave a thank you note. They come in, they eat, and they run off. In another scripture in Malachi, it describes the little pests as little foxes coming through and devouring the crop. The Bible warns me, I can not only have God's blessing, but I also need his protection from those little pests that come. And number three, touch increases temptation. I pay my tithe without ever touching it. I put money in savings without ever touching it. I pay down debt without ever touching it because touch increases temptation. Here's the progression that you see most of the time in the Bible. The temptation, the, the desire for sin, it, it usually will start, it, it, I shouldn't say usually, it always starts in the mind. It often enters the mind through the eye, but it almost always come to, comes to fruition through the hand. In other words, we think, we see it, we think it, and then we take an action towards it. You need to know that touching something greatly enhances temptation. I'll give you an example. Have you ever been watching a movie and, all right, this guy is married to that woman and this woman is married to that guy and, and they've been spending more time together and as you're watching the movie, you realize, uh-oh, something's developing there. And you know, they're getting closer and closer together and, and finally they're sitting there working late and she looks at him and he looks at her, and he reaches out, and he touches her cheek. Then he realizes, no, I, I, I can't do this, and he leaves the room. You need to know that's only happening in movies. Once you get to the point of touch, temptation will go through the roof. Once you touch it, the desire to possess it will be overwhelming. Once you get to that point, you need to know you're not going back. I've been pastoring since some of you, before some of you were born, and I can tell you, once you get to that point, all of the temptation is handled before you get to that point. I don't touch my tithes, savings, or debt reduction. I, I don't touch it. That way I'm not tempted to use it somewhere else. When it comes to other relationships, I'm, I'm careful, Debbie and I both are. You won't walk into a restaurant and find me sitting at a table having lunch with some woman beside my wife. You just, that's just not gonna happen. 
it hasn't happened in 30 years. It's just not going to happen. The, I was sitting in a restaurant one time having lunch by myself because I am my favorite person to have lunch with. And so I'm sitting there and I, I'm eating and I'm reading because a lot of times I, I, well, I just, I'm always reading at lunch. And so, you know, the, if, if you take me to lunch, I'll sit there and read while you talk. But, you know, I'm sitting there and, and I'm reading. Lady from the church walks out, oh, Pastor Ron. And she comes over and she starts talking. And, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that, I don't know, maybe it's that, you know, trusting look or something about me. I, I don't know what it is. But she starts telling me a problem. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, okay. And I'm wondering, how am I going to get out of this? But okay. And, and then all of a sudden, she sits down. Well, she sits down. I stand up. And she looks at me and said, what are you doing? Are you leaving? I said, I don't know. It depends on whether or not you're staying. She said, well, I just want to talk to you for a minute. I said, you cannot sit at a table here with me. If my wife comes in and sees you, she will hurt you, okay? She's small, but she's scrappy, and she will beat the snot out of you. It's just, that's just not the way it works. Friends, I am cautious because people think that I can handle temptation. Here, let me say it to you this way. The I can handle it is a poor strategy. The Bible doesn't teach me to handle temptation. The Bible teaches me to flee temptation. It doesn't say get as close as you can. No, it doesn't teach that. Quit putting the tithe in your hand. Quit putting the savings in your hand. Quit putting the debt reduction money in your hand and then hoping you can handle it well. No. Temptation goes up exponentially with touch. The third adulting principle, adults choose, I'm sorry, adults change when we need to. And truth of the matter is, we need to. Life changed, and a lot of people didn't realize it. I taught this a few years ago, and I want to come back to it. Life in the United States and many parts of the world got longer. And so things began to change. You know, kind of the way it was, you had childhood, you had, you know, teen years, you had adulthood, and then you had old age, and right here, you were dead. Okay. And so, child, teen, somewhere around 18, adulthood, you know, that was some point from there on up to, I don't know, something... People most, most of the time in our culture, the last couple generations, have thought of retirement sometime between uh, 60 and 67. All right, that changed. In, in fact, let me give you the easiest example to conceptualize. Uh, tell the person next to you, what's the average age of a man getting married in the United States? Tell the person next to you, what do you think? All right, go ahead and help me, what do you think? So you said 35. Uh, it's actually uh, uh, around 29 years old. Let me ask you a question. How, or let me just ask, how many of you have young adult kids? Let's say your 21-year-old came to you and said, Mom, I'm getting married. What would be your reaction? How many of you would have misgivings, worry, qualms. I don't know how to phrase it so you understand, but you would feel a little worried about that. Raise your hand if you would feel a little worried about it. 
Okay, when Debbie and I got engaged, we went out to dinner, I proposed to her, the, we left the restaurant, we drove down to my dad's office because was, he was at the church, I knew he was there. We went in and told him, and he said, son, that's great, I'm happy for you guys. We called my mom, and uh, you know, the, right there from my dad's sis, we called her parents, and, told, and everyone was just, just tickled for us. We were 21 years old, everyone was just excited for us. Because we got married at 21, all of our friends got married at 21, it was, that was normal. And then you went out and you developed, had a career, you know, and that career ran somewhere between your mid-20s up to 60. That was kind of adulthood. And then you got to old age and somewhere in there you died and life expectancy, you know, at the time was, it was like 69 or so. Well, things changed. You know, now that we've got childhood, we've kind of got young adulthood one, young adulthood two. We've got, you guys are laughing, but I've been pastoring a long time here. We've got mid-age. Now, I didn't put middle-age specifically because that's going to run from about 30 to 60. And then we're going to have a new category. It's called young, old. And then we have old, old. Well, this changed the math on lots of stuff. For the last couple of generations, you've been told you need to save up enough money in this part of your life so you can survive this part of your life. That's what you've been taught. But that part of your life all of a sudden went from three or four or five years to what could be 20 to 30 years. Friends, saving up enough money to live on for 25 or 30 years is not nearly as easy as what people think. Trying to save up that kind of, no, you, you might want to rethink that a little bit. And I know the, the finance industry is kind of predicated upon this model, but that model quit working. If you're married, did you know there's a 50% chance at least one of you will live past 90 if you're married, at least one of you has a 50% chance of going past 90. That is a long time. A lot of stuff can happen in that period of time. So, you need to consider, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm right anyway, okay? Yeah, I, I mean that. I, I'm as serious as a heart attack here. You don't have to agree with me, but I'm right. And you would be foolish to bet against me on this. You need to rethink this young, old period. During this period, you need to think about, well, what am I going to do during this period of 60 to 75? Now, some of you are thinking, well, you know, Pastor Ron, if I, if I need to work, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. 55% of people who retire... 55%, this statistic is in 2017, I think it's gotten worse since then, but 55% that retired didn't have a choice in the matter, they had to. A health problem, a financial problem, a company problem, industry change, training change, something happened, 55% of them had to, they didn't get to choose to. With 55% not getting a choice, you need to prepare yourself. If you couldn't keep doing what you're doing, what would you do? 
If you couldn't do that, now maybe you'll get to that point and you'll be able to and want to and everything will be fine and you can choose to retire anytime you feel financially ready between 60 and 75, that's fine. But what I'm suggesting is that you prepare for something different. Now, you may look at this and say, well, you know, Pastor Ron, you turned church to Pastor Andy about a year ago, and you know, you, then you went into retirement. Friends, do I strike you as the kind of guy who sits around on the front porch? I am bored when I am not doing stuff. I, shoot, I, am, I'm, I got five minutes left of this sermon. I'm bored with me now. I mean, I have incredibly low boredom tolerance. And so, you know, as you get bored, so when I began preparing the transition, I began preparing that transition several years before Andy came in because I knew that it was time for God to bring in someone else that with more energy for it, was with more uh, ideas for it. Now, it wasn't about age. My dad pastored for 50 years. He pastored till he was in his 70s. My brother is five years older than me and still pastoring today, doing a great job. But I knew for me that it was time for God to bring a time of transition for me. And so I went through several years of preparing the church and several years of preparing me for what will that period of time look like. So Ross and I, we have a business together. I have other projects that I'm working on. I stay really busy on all that stuff because I don't want to start looking at, well, man, that's that pot of money and boy, I got to make it last. I don't want to feel that way. If I want to go somewhere, I want to set the money aside and I want to go. I don't want to feel like I'm stealing tomorrow's food because I want to go do something today. And so, no, I, I have stuff that I work on to continue bringing in, in an income for me. It's just, I felt like that was prudent because even though I got to make choices about what happened at the church, I know a lot of people that are not able to go on past that point. Adults are able to change when they need to. Friends, this is an area that I think you need to start thinking about. The next one, adult principle four. Adults talk about money. If you're married, learn to talk to your spouse about it. Well, Pastor Ron, it always turns into an argument. If you start working on a spending plan, if you quit being judgmental, if you quit being condescending, and if you'll, if you'll I'm sorry, if you'll start being gentle, and if you'll quit being condescending and judgmental, it will go easier. Once you have the spending plan put together and the two of you have worked on it together, you'll find conflict on money goes way down. Debbie and I have had a spending plan since we got married. We fight about money probably once a decade. Now, don't misunderstand. We fight about everything else on the planet because she's got opinions on everything and boy, are they wrong. And so, you know, we'll fight about all kinds of other stuff. We don't fight about money because we do the spending plan together. Adults talk to their spouse about money and adults develop a team of advisors. I have other people that before I go out and do something, I chat with them. They talk to me. You develop people that you see God is blessed. You see they are being faithful in God's principles and you say, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. Just give me your thoughts. Doesn't mean you'll agree. Doesn't mean you'll follow the advice. But the Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And the last one for today, adulting principle five, adults pull the wagon. If you're following on your phone notes, you can put them aside for a second. Adults pull the wagon. When my kids were little, they had a wagon. It was one of those plastic ones, but it was a big one. I kept that wagon for a long time after they'd, after they'd moved out of the house. I still had that wagon because it was great for moving stuff. Anything that was heavy, I'd put it in that wagon tow it. But when they were little, they, they were always getting in this wagon and they would say, daddy, daddy, pull us. And so they would climb in the wagon and, you know, I would go over and 
And I would grudgingly, I'd pull them around and they'd start yelling and screaming and having fun and so I'd pull them faster where we were living at the time. I mean, it had a big downhill driveway. I'd go to the top, I'd let them go. Debbie'd scream. It was just great fun. And so, you know, I'd chase them down. We had a lot of fun with that wagon. But you know, I've told you before, after they'd, I'd pull them all around, I'd get tired and, and I'd pick them up and you know, they were little and so I'd pick them up kind of like a puppy just by the scruff of the neck. I'd pick them up both of them, put them out of the wagon and I'd lay down in the wagon. And you know, I, I realized this the other day, my oldest son, whenever I do something that was kind of silly, he would always ask me the same question. He would ask me, what is wrong with you? You know, and I remember when he was little, he'd kind of get his hands on his hips and get his head going, what is wrong with you, Daddy? Because I was laying in the wagon, and I'd say, pull me, son, pull me. And he'd say, Daddy, you, you're supposed to pull us. And you know, he was right. Adults, pull the wagon. But we pull the wagon not because we have to. He was little. I could have took him. But not because we have to. It's because we know that's where the joy is. And you know, I, I look back at what I miss about parenting, and it really is not their teen years. Their teen years, they were both rotten kids, okay? But then they were, man, they were sweet, and they were fun, and we'd sword fight, we'd climb, but man, we had fun with that wagon. We'd make forts out of it. We'd haul stuff. They would take it. They went over to neighbor's yard one time, stole a whole bunch of lumber, and brought it back over. We built stuff with it. I thought about making them take it back, but we were building stuff and having so much fun, I figured we need it more than them. And so we, you know, and so we just... That wagon, we just had a lot of fun with it. But you know, I, I very rarely think I really miss being pulled in a wagon. I don't think that. When I was a kid, we had those big metal wagons, you know, cut your fingers off, take your life. I mean, they had the plastic one that were safer, but I never think about being pulled in a wagon. But I miss pulling them in one. I miss that. I miss the look on their face. I miss the look of abject terror when I would let them go and then they'd fall out of the wagon laughing. I miss that. From the time I was a kid, I was taught to pay my tithe, to save. I went to the little church where my dad pastored, but even in my, my older childhood and my early teens, I had a job by then. I helped pull the wagon of that local church when I was just a kid. In fact, I remember when I was about, I don't know, probably 12 to 14, somewhere in there, George Chavanit Kamanil, our missionary in northern India, they, he heads that wonderful college over there. And I don't think I've ever mentioned to you, but George was a young man at the time. He showed up at the little church where I attended. I remember sitting there listening to him. And he was talking about, I, I have a vision to purchase property in northern India to build a college to send out pastors and school teachers. I remember listening to George. He had black hair at the time. He and Leela were there. They had two small boys at the time. I remember listening to him and thought, I could help with that. Now, I was already pulling the wagon of the church with my, my tithe, but I could give on top of that. And I invested in that college that has sent out hundreds and hundreds of pastors. Over 600 churches have been planted just out of that college. 12 schools have been built. They've sent out hundreds of teachers in public and private schools out of that college. I, I was helping pull that wagon when I was just a kid. Here at Cornerstone, the, there's been an awful lot that's happened. We've built schools over there. We've helped out in disasters here in our own nation, helped out people who were struggling. They made sure that 
There was always a, a youth pastor who loved the kids, made sure that children were taught. We have baptized literally thousands of people here at Cornerstone. And you know why that happened? It's because there was somebody sitting on your row who was taking their tithe and pulling the wagon. Someone on your row who was investing in people's lives, they didn't even know that when someone got baptized, they stood and they applauded because they were excited about what God was doing in their life. When they heard about a house being built in Mexico, they not only pulled the wagon with their tithe, but they invested in that too, and they invested in this, and they invested in that. There are people who sit around thinking about how to change the world, and then there are tithers who are actually doing it. Friends, for the last 55 years of my life, I'm six years old. I started when I was about five. For the last 55 years of my life, I've been helping pull that wagon with my tithe, with my offering. When there was a need God had already blessed me enough that I was going to be a part of doing that. And the reason ministry has gone on here at Cornerstone and these buildings have been built and people have been touched around the globe through this congregation is because there is a tither sitting on your row right now that's been pulling the wagon month after month, year after year. I need to ask you just one question. Are you pulling the wagon or riding in the wagon? Adults pull the wagon because we're adults. And we know that's where all the joy is over time. Bow your heads with me for just a minute. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take your word and lay it on the hearts of people. Lord, there are so many here that have been faithful in their tithe and their offerings. Lord, have been faithful for decades here. Lord, things have happened because there have been so many who reached out, took a side, and they pulled that wagon. Lord, we're grateful for them. But Lord, there may be one or two or 10 or 20 that haven't taken this step of really saying, Lord, I'm going to be faithful with my tithe. I'm gonna set aside that first 10%. I'm gonna set that aside in my tithe. I'm gonna set aside that first 10% in my savings. Lord, I, I, I'm going to, to be, what debt I have, Lord, I pray that it gets taken out of my life and Lord, I'm gonna be aggressive at getting it out of my house. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd lay it on their hearts to step up and grab a handle of the wagon and say, I'm not going to think about how to change the world. I'm going to start changing the world. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me? This Thursday night, I'm going to be coming down. It'll either be in this sanctuary or in the sanctuary across the patio. I'm going to talk to you about four things. I'm going to talk to you about income. I'm going to talk to you about investing. I'm going to talk to you briefly about debt. And I'm going to talk to you about retirement. Now, just in case you're wondering, you know, when I hear someone gathering to talk about those things, you know, they're usually selling something. You need to know that we are selling nothing. That is just not the way it works around here. I'm doing this because I want to be a blessing in your life. I want us to learn from one another. And so Thursday night, I'll cover those four subjects. Hopefully you can join us. God bless you. Thanks for letting me speak to you.